What's going on, guys? What's going on, guys? Amen. You know, I was going to make a joke when I came up here, uh, but Ryan Robbins isn't here, so I decided not to. Um, he'd appreciated that. <laughs> Amen. Um, you know that awkward moment when you're singing a song, and there's a part where, from back home, everybody turns around, and then you turn around, and nobody else is turning around with you? But, amen. One person was. I saw one person. Come on, guys. I see you guys over there. But, amen. Uh, so, today, my name is David. I'm here to preach the sermon. You know, we're going to go through a, a book or, or a character of the Bible that I find much encouragement from, because I feel like I'm exactly like him. And so, when I read it, I feel like we relate and we're one. Um, but I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about reading. And, uh... When I was little, I used to hate reading. I used to hate reading books because I didn't understand it. I wasn't a very good reader, so I couldn't really connect. Um, but one day, uh, I think I found a certain genre. I remember reading the Magic, the Magic Treehouse books or whatever, and like sci-fi. So I connect, yep, you know. And so I connected with it, and it was so amazing because I discovered that sci-fi or, or a place where my, my imagination can go and run wild, and it was mind-blowing to me. And I started reading from then. I was reading all the time, and I think that what I like most about books is uh, the place where my mind goes, but also the characters in those books. You know, I think of uh, some of my, my favorite books, I won't get into them, but like really understanding the character and understanding who they are and like trying to picture them in my head. But also I remember goofy times like reading a book and I would laugh at what something a character said and I would try to share it with my family and uh, they'd look at me like I'm silly because they didn't understand the context. They didn't get the personality of the character. And so I just look silly. But what I like a lot about the Bible is that Man, it grows with me to death. I can read the same thing and something new stands out every single time. And uh, the Bible in Hebrews, in Hebrews 4, it says that the, the, the book or the Bible, the Word of God, is a living and active or, or alive and relevant. And it's so cool how, like, the more I get to know characters such as Jesus or, or even, like, Moses and stuff, and the more closer I feel to them, the more alive they become and the more they speak to me. And so today, I wanted to talk about Gideon. I kind of talked about it. And the title of my sermon, if you do that, is, is Reliance on God. Um, so I'm going to share like what I learned and how Gideon like had to learn how to rely on God. So if you can turn with me to, to Judges chapter 6, and uh, we'll start there. Uh, but I'm going to open this up in a quick prayer while you're turning there. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, I'm so grateful to be here this morning. God, I'm grateful um, for your word. God, I'm grateful for how, when I was little, you inspired me to read books by leading me the right way. God, I'm so grateful that I've been able to use that gift uh, to get closer to you, God, to read and dig deep into your word, God, and learn what your plan is for, for my life, God. But I know you have a great plan for everybody's life here in this room and in the world, God. I'm so grateful that we have an opportunity to come and worship you uh, using this book, God, using the words and the spirit, God, and so many other things, God, to connect with you and to learn how much you love us. But I pray for today, I pray for this service, that you can speak through me, that you can speak through uh, Gideon as a character, God, and you can impact all of our hearts. We can leave today being that much more closer to you. And this year, son's name I pray. Amen. So in, Gide- in Judges chapter 6, um, kind of uh, the background context is that after you know, Moses led the people out of Egypt and they traveled through the desert some 80 years, they finally made it into the promised land led by Joshua. And once Joshua died off, there's kind of like nobody there to really lead the people. And so they were kind of doing their own things and they would fall in kind of like this cycle. Right? They would turn from God even though God issued them promises and commands that if you follow me and you don't follow any idols or the idols of the people there, I will bless you. And I will cherish you and give you all these, give you the land and these blessings. Um, but what you see is that over and over again, uh, they do not. They, they turn from God, they start worshiping other idols, and uh, then God allows them to be taken over by the people around them. And then they're oppressed, and then they cry out to God, and they call out for help, and then uh, God raises up a judge. So the book of Judges is about different people who God raised up to, to help his people become free from the oppression that they were faced. Um, so in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it reads, 
The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountains, clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was so impoverished, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the, the hand, sorry, delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And so, like looking through Judges or reading through Judges, like you discover the human condition. And so the human condition of the Israelites, I was like trying to put it into words um, and add some help, but it says, the Israelites, so this was like their, their, their nature. It says, peace was in the land and Israel serves the Lord. But then Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord and then God punishes Israel and Israel is then enslaved. Israel cries out to the Lord. God raises up a judge. Israel is then delivered and peace in the land and Israel serves the Lord again. And the cycle kind of continues. And this happens over and over and over again. And so, to simplify this, it's peace, complacency, sin, and then from that sin, pain, and then they cry out, and then God delivers them, and then there's peace again. Right? And so, I look at this, and I often, I would think, like, why don't the Israelites just obey? It can't be that hard. Right. I would, I would read it, and I'd be like, it's so simple. Or I even look at Adam and Eve, like, why did they not eat the fruit? And uh, there's often times when I watch movies, even though I've seen it and I know the ending, and I wish like, man, I hope they don't do it this time. I, I, hope, I hope they don't do what I know they're going to do. I hope you guys are with me on that one. But they always do it. They always do it. And I feel like the Israelites, they, they always do the same thing. They always mess up. Um, but so do we. You know, we're, we're just as human, right? We, we, get, we become peaceful when we're close to God. Then we grow complacent. And then we sin. And then God is waiting for us to cry out for him to deliver us in peace. Um, so questions I have, this is, why is it so hard for us to give our lives to God and be obedient? Why don't we listen? And why do we rebel again and again? You know, I was thinking about it. I was like, my heart is so quick to turn to evil. So fast. Even when I feel so close to God at times. You know, I can have, have a great Bible study with somebody or I can hear a great message. And I feel like hours later, I'll be struggling or I'll be fighting off. And Satan's like creeping at my door. Um, I just don't. I just don't understand why that is. And then uh, I was reading in, in Matthew 26. I was talking to a brother, and Jesus said something in Matthew 26. Says, "Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak." You know, Jesus said this to his disciples. You know, right after the Last Supper, right after he was with them, and uh, he takes them to the garden. And so they were so close to God, and he's praying to them, and he's like. Pray that you don't fall into temptation because he knows what's coming. He knows that Judas is coming to betray him. He knows that he's going to have to face the cross, but he knows that they're going to leave them. And so he prays and he's like, he tells them, he's like, hey, the spirit is willing, right? The spirit is there for us to fight for us. But man, the flesh, the flesh is going to fail. 
And so, I look at this. Sorry, let me... You know, I, I, we're under the same trap of the human condition, right? We need to rely on God in those times. We can be as close to God, but Satan's going to try his best to discourage us and distract us from our purpose and get us off that high because he knows if we stay on that high, man, we're unstoppable. We'll, we'll change the world. And so Satan wants to try to trick us and manipulate us to fall, to get us off our high horse or the high horse that God's placed us on so that we will stumble and fall and think lowly of ourselves. Um, but much like the Israelites who would fall into sin and then become enslaved, God waits for them to cry out. You know, in His patience, His love and His grace, He rescues us from our own self-inflicted trials. He's just looking for a heart that is crying out to surrender, in surrender, expose and saw. And I want to ask us how, how are our hearts today when we find ourselves in difficult situations of sin? You know, are we hard, calloused and self-reliant? Are we soft, moldable, exposed and dependent on God? And um, we'll continue reading in Judges 6. But the idea of this is that um, we need to see... Gideon saw things from the wrong perspective, so we can tend to do that too. And so we're going to read 6, starting in verse 11. It reads, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midianites' hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon, pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from... And from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take this meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out, pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Allah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abazarites. So we'll pause there. And so, you know, I look at Gideon and he's super skeptical, right? God comes to him and he says, mighty warrior like go go and rescue the people and he says in verse 13 he says pardon me my lord but if but if the lord is with us why has all this happened right and i, I was looking at it and i was thinking about it and gideon saw from the wrong perspective you know he only saw the situation from where he could see it right he sees that the people are attacking him but i don't think very much he understood the cycle of sin that the israelites were in and that god was trying to teach them something through it and so 
how do we view our trials? You know, do we alter reality to make ourselves the victim? You know, the Bible says every trial we face is meant to refine and to shape us and to test us to give us more faith. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. And if that is true, then he has a set purpose through it all. You know, though it may take a while for us, you know, hindsight being 2020, you know, one day we may understand it. And maybe we won't understand it till we get to heaven. And so I was thinking of a time when I didn't, I had no idea I was going through a trial. And uh, it started off when I started studying the Bible and a little bit afterwards. But I kept, I was studying the Bible, you know, through this church. And I kept running into this guy, I won't say his name. uh, And he would like share scriptures with me and he would twist them out of context. And he'd say, hey, man, everything they're telling you is wrong, right? You don't, you don't need to be baptized. You don't need to, like, do any kind of works or anything like that. You're saved just by your faith. And I was so confused and so hurt because he would find me at the most random times. I'd be on the city bus and the dudes would walk on the bus. I'm like, here we go. And then I'd be on my way to work. I'd be at the mall, like, in completely other side of the city. And he'd walk up to me and talk to me. And I'd be like, why is this happening? And I feel like, for me, hindsight being 2020, I'm so grateful for that experience because I was a person who was tossed back and forth by the waves. You know, I would hear a good idea, like, man, that sounds awesome. Let me go over there. And I would hear the exact opposite idea and someone would say it a certain way, like, oh, man, that sounds good, too. And I'd go over there. And I think what God was definitely trying to teach me is that if I'm going to follow him, I need to be with him 100%. And so I look back and, and it was like six months that I was struggling with a bunch of different scriptures and a bunch of different ideas. Um, but I'm so grateful for that because, man, I studied out baptism. I studied out scriptures that we preach and we talk about. And uh, I build convictions on those things that now when I hear other, other doctrine that people try to share with me, man, I know if it's true or not. And I'm so grateful for that. But that's hindsight being 2020. Um, but through different trials, right, it, it, can, seem, it can seem tough. I, I think then the Bible says faith is proved genuine through trials. And I was, uh, I was running here to church this morning and I was running downhill <laughs> and I saw people running up the hill, and I was like, man, it's so easy to run downhill. Like, these guys are struggling, they're pushing it, they're fighting it, and I'm like, man, I could be a runner, I could be a cross-country athlete. But I know if I were to, to run the other way, it might be a little bit more challenging. And so I, I think our faith, right, it's so easy to go with the flow when everything's going good around us. Um, but as soon as persecution faces up, which the Bible promises will happen, um, that truly shows if we truly have faith or not. And so we need to be ready for that. You know... God, I want to talk about how Gideon viewed himself versus how God viewed Gideon. You know, God calls Gideon a mighty warrior and to go in the strength that he has, while Gideon constantly tries to confirm his own false view of himself. In verse 15 it says, You know, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. You know, from Gideon's perspective, he was a nobody. You know, he was the lowest of the low, the weakest of the weak, and uh, he felt like he didn't have the capabilities to lead God's people. You know, we personally, we can't get our own self. We can't get our self-worth from the world or even from ourselves. We need to go to God and to the Bible for that. Um, you know, if I were to get my self-worth from, from the world, you know, my dad's a carpenter and he works seven days out of the week to provide a living, right? If, if I'm going by the world standard, I, that's all I have to live up to is just to be a carpenter who's going to work minimum, less than minimum wage just to provide a living for myself. But through God... God calls me a mighty warrior. He says I can do great and amazing things to change the face of this face of this earth, helping people to become disciples. Come on, David, that's right. What does God say about you? What is he telling you you can do? And what will it take for you to believe him? You know, for Gideon, he needed constant reassurance over and over again through different parts of the Bible. Um, do we need that? Do we need to constantly hear the same message over and over again for us to finally take to believe it? Um, 
Then God calls us to do something radical. God called Gideon to do something radical in his hometown. In uh, Judges chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 25. It reads, That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down, cut down the Assyrian pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Assyrian pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So I'm not going to read all of this. I'm going to paraphrase some of it. But God calls us to be radical with the Lord's instructions. You know, what, what bold act of faith is God calling us to? Right? He told Gideon to go and tear down the altar of that town. You know, the same altar that, that led the whole entire nation uh, into idolatry, that led him away from God. Um, but he was nervous. He was afraid. So he went at night, right? Um, what, what idol does God want us to remove from our lives, right? What are we holding on to that he wants us to cut down and burn so we can worship God properly, right? We have to be radical about our sin. You know, a little bit further down, we won't read it, but the people discovered that their altars torn down the next day. And they're like, who did this? And they're questioning people. And I can just picture Gideon hiding in the back somewhere, not really showing himself. And then they eventually discover that it was him. And so the people demand that he be put to death. But then his father spoke out and he's like, don't speak for, don't speak for Baal. If he's truly a God, he will step up and he will answer and he will, you know, claim victory of his own. And so the people kind of backed off. But I thought it was so cool how if we do what God asks us to do, he'll stand up for us. He'll protect us and guide us. We won't have to worry about it. Um, so again, like what is what bold act is God calling you to do? And just trust that he'll be there to protect and guide you. Um, verse 33 we'll read. says, Now all the Midianites, Amicalites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet summoning... Sorry. Summoning the Abazarites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh calling to the, calling to arms and also to the Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali so that they too went up to meet him. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew, dew only on the fleece and on the, and the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said this. And so, I'll pause there. Gideon prayed boldly and specifically because right after this, after the, the, he finds that the, what he's asked for is done, he plays the exact opposite. He's like, okay, God, be patient with me. I'm sorry, but can you make the opposite happen, right? And God does it. And it's so cool how God answered his prayers. Um, this, this brother back home said to me one time, he says, um, if we truly understood the power of prayer and what it meant, he said people would have to come to us and pull us out of prayer all the time. And that, that stuck with me. I was like, man, that's, that's crazy. He's like, people would have to come to us and yank us out of prayer to get us to do other things if we truly understood the power of it. Um, it's something that I'm trying to learn. It's something that I'm trying to work at. It's like, understand how powerful prayer is. Um, I feel like Gideon, he was, he was, he was unafraid to ask God boldly to, to get, get that reassurance and that faith to really see. But he needed guidance constantly. And so we'll look over to Judges chapter 7. And I think the most important lesson that we can learn from Gideon is that we have to trust and rely on God. And so Judges 7, we'll start in verse 1. 
It reads, Early in the morning, morning, Jeroboam, or Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave, leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told them, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cup hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Um, now the camp of Midianites lay below him in the valley. During the night the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amicalites, and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as the man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It, it had struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite God had given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And so we'll pause there. I think it's so awesome how God knows exactly what Gideon needed to encourage and uplift him. You know, God was teaching Gideon to trust and rely on him to get him down to 300 men, right? So he's like, man, I don't want the Israelites to take credit for this. But moving... From 32,000 men down to 300 men to fight this huge army that says was too numerous to count um, is crazy. It's mind-blowing to think about it. But God really wanted Gideon's heart. He wanted him to see that it is, it is his strength and his power that was doing what it needed. And after Gideon heard the message from the, the Midianite camp, his, his, completely, his, his mentality completely changed. He became confident and bold. And so we're going to read what he said. In verse 15, it says, When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into the three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I, when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow your trumpets and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp, at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars and were, that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding their right hands, the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And then they go and they rout this entire army. They kill this entire army. And so... So I was thinking about this. And I was reflecting, and it's like so awesome 
how Gideon's heart and mentality completely changed. He went from being an insecure person who needed so much reassurance to like a strong leader and a bold man who, who changed the course of history that day. He allowed him to be freed and oppressed. And so God wants us all to do amazing things. But first we have to trust and rely on Him. Our actions in certain situations show us if we truly rely on God or on self. Are we getting advice from those who are older, more mature and wiser than ourselves? Or do you think we know it all? Are we going to God in prayer about everything? Are we asking Him for the strength to overcome our sin and to help us get through the trials that He places, places us in? Or to take them away? Or are we trying to be learned and refined by them? So often I have tried to rely on my own strength and I have fallen flat on my face over and over again. The definition of insanity is uh, to do the same thing over again expecting a different result. It won't happen. That's, that's silly. It won't happen at all. And like I'm learning that I have to go to God. I have to ask God for help. You know, it says anything is, anything is possible through him. And so God very much so wants us to understand, one, how he views us, and two, with his strength, we can do amazing things. You know, that's what Gideon learned. You know, Satan wants us to have a limited focus and keep us reliant on ourselves because he knows if we tap into God's power, we'll be unstoppable and we'll change the world. So let us go into the world as mighty warriors that God's calling us. Amen. But let us do it in full reliance of God. Amen.